welcome to the Bump Room Podcast. I'm your host, Ailish Cleary, and my mission is to bring connection and understanding to the profound and powerful changes becoming a mother brings. I aim to achieve this through insightful conversations with people I find inspiring and empowering in the space of motherhood support. Okay, I am really excited to be talking to Dr. Sophie Brock today. Um, So Sophie is a sociologist in motherhood studies and she is like, for me, all knowing like with everything around motherhood. And um, I first got, Sophie, is it okay if I'm just gonna like say how I first connected with you? Go ahead. So, um, Sophie, I start. I think I start. I think I must have seen you on Instagram first, and then I signed up for your newsletter, and then I then I got the notification about your motherhood studies certification. And when I read it first, I was like, "Oh, I totally want to do this." But then my first thought was like, "But I'm a physio. I'm not a sociologist. This this isn't this isn't um, relevant to my work." That was like my first thought, you know. But then something just kept calling me back to it and I kept looking at it. And then I just said, you know what, I'm just going to dive in here and just do it. And then I started it and like realized that every single bit of it was relevant, not just to my work, but like to my life. And it really just really, it really opened up my eyes to um, everything to do with how motherhood had impacted my life. the, the good, the beautiful, the not so good, the frustrating, and also how a lot of it was outside of me. And I didn't even know that, you know, so I found it really um, just an amazing, an amazing eye-opening experience. And I'm really grateful, actually. Thank you so much for creating it. Like, because like you, the work that goes into it, I see the work that goes into it. Like, I just really want to acknowledge you for creating it you know I just thought like and 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 feeling not so alone like you know that there's other women in across the world because you deliver this certification like from there's women all over the world doing it but that that's Sophie so um I'm so Sophie you're very welcome thank you thank you Alish and thank you for such a warm welcome and for sharing a bit about your journey and connecting with me in this work and and your reflections about the certification and it's always you know at the different stages of our journey we look back and we reflect on things in different ways don't we and looking at the the parts of ourselves that were lit up with curiosity and interest and then seeing how things kind of connect together and I love that you've shared there around how going okay well this is about motherhood and it's interesting but is it relevant to my life is it relevant to my work as a physio what maybe not but something kept calling you back there and I think that recognition even just within yourself that actually hang on there's more to uncover here when we're talking about what it means to be a mother it's more than just the social stereotypes and the cliches and the throwaway lines that we have in our culture and actually it is a lot deeper that and it ultimately gets to the kind of crux of our humanity as human beings right and our the depth of our relationships and the complexities of identity so I really appreciate you inviting me here for this conversation and in every way that you've engaged with motherhood studies too. Yes and I wonder could you in a nutshell like just explain to people what motherhood studies is? 
Sure, yeah. So motherhood studies is an academic area of study. It's a discipline. Um, it is an interdisciplinary area of study. So what I mean by that is it kind of picks from a bunch of different disciplines like psychology, sociology, anthropology. Um, you could look at psychotherapy, even history, economics. So it's really uh, diverse and, and broad a lot in literature and the arts. Um, and it was coined as an academic discipline by Andrea, Professor Andrea O'Reilly, uh, who is a leading professor and maternal scholar. And what she has done throughout her career is looked at all of the different ways that different researchers and academics and scholars and writers and thinkers and activists and mothers have been writing about the experience of motherhood and what it means to be a mother across all of these different disciplines and has brought them together to say, actually, we're all, all exploring these common threads and themes of connection when it comes to questioning what does it mean to be a mother? What is the experience of motherhood? How is that shaped? How are mothers impacted by that? What, what about actually bringing all these threads of different disciplines, actually bringing them together and naming them motherhood studies? This is for those of us who are studying mothers and the experience of motherhood. So that's kind of motherhood studies in a nutshell. Yeah, I hadn't heard you describe it like that before. And like that's that's like perfect because I think that kind of brings me to kind of my next because after I did my certification with you I was like oh I can't I, I need to go and do a degree in this I need to tell everyone in Ireland um, and then I went to research to, about doing that and I realized it just doesn't exist it doesn't exist um, here in Ireland and then I realized that it it's a bit it's a bit missing in in other countries so I was wondering what can you tell me like I remember you saying that you had to actually create this as a PhD yourself and then can you tell me a little bit about why that is or where it is? And yeah. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So um, so I did my PhD in sociology. And so that's kind of my discipline, you know, all of those different threads and in each kind of person who is focusing or researching motherhood from the different disciplines, there'll be different perspectives too. So the way I've just described motherhood studies somebody else from, you know, psychology or psychiatry might describe it in different language. Um, so part of how I came to study motherhood studies was through my undergraduate degree and I was researching for an essay and looking at mothers and in one of the references I came across a reference from Andrea O'Reilly and that sort of led me down the trail of following her work and at the time there was an organisation, um, it was called Mercy and there was an acronym for um, the Motherhood initiative for research and community involvement. And basically what Professor O'Reilly had done in Canada was had recognised the lack of research and collectivising actually of research on motherhood and created an organisation as a response to that through her position as an academic and drew together, you know, drew on collaborations and, and a bunch of other relationships and she also created a journal, Journal for the Motherhood Initiative. And so through her position as an academic, through Mercy and through the journal, she also created a press, Demeter Press, and that is currently in existence. You can go and buy motherhood books from Demeter Press. 
And so she collated all of that and sort of brought people together in the academic community and space and has done, I mean, look up Google Professor Andrea O'Reilly, you can see all of her incredible accomplishments and achievements and created conferences worldwide to really intentionally bring together scholars and activists and researchers and thinkers who were interested in this topic and who were doing work in this area. And so what that meant was it created a sort of a hub, so to speak, of connections and involvement and relationships then began to move uh, off from that. And in Australia, for example, we had an Australian branch of that Mercy organization started. That was by one of my mentors, Dr. Mari Porter. And with the support of, um, of Andrea and others, began this nonprofit in Australia. It's now called Maternal Scholars Australia. So there, are, there have been pockets of where this is happening globally. Um, there are quite a lot of maternal theorists and thinkers in North America. There's an organisation, MAMSI, um, in the UK, a journal. There is also a scholar I know uh, in Italy and Sweden. I think she's developing, uh, looking to do a postdoc in maternal research. So I'm talking kind of in fractured pieces here because that's how it looks. There is work going on all over the world in this space. But as far as I know, there has not been institutional support funding money to be able to get a research institute or to get the discipline off the ground in the way that it really deserves to be. And, and each scholar who works in this field of maternal research or motherhood-based research faces in their own ways various challenges when it comes to the respect, the legitimacy and the sense of respect that maternal scholarship deserves, but that we often have to fight for. And, you know, that is a familiar story for those who are feminists, for those who are marginalised in various ways. And so the kind of answer to your question is fitting in with that broader narrative of the ways that it's been challenging to have our voices as mothers heard and, and acknowledged and respected. Yeah. So it sounds like it's really just in its infancy. Like, you know, it sounds like it's, it's kind of just that this is kind of like a watershed time, you know, this is like the start of something that I'm sure is going to be much bigger because I know if it impacted me so much and that was just, you know, that's just on an individual level. It's not on like a societal level or an institutional or legal or legislative. So there's so many, you know, I can see it just growing from here. Like I'd say, this is like the start, the seed, you know, um, yeah. But I do want to bring it back to like what you do on the ground, which is like you, I know you have different groups you're running, like you have your, your membership groups and out of all of the courses you have done and the different, the short courses, the longer, the certification, what out of all your like this, I am showing that this now, I didn't prepare you for this, <laughs> out of all the things you talk about, all the modules you talk about, which you think has the biggest, like, I'm not going to say impact, but the biggest, like, where women go, oh, I did not know that, or I never, I never saw that, or which do you think really opens up like a blind spot? 
Yeah. So I think to answer that, stepping back for for one second, just to what you said um, before asking that question is around the, you describe it as the watershed moment or the moment where actually this has potential to grow so much more. And saying two things at once that sound contradictory, but I think both are true in that motherhood studies and maternal thinking and scholarship and uh, the generation of these ideas have been around for for quite a long time, right? Like it's not as if this has happened in the past 10 years. Um, You know, Adrian Rich's book of Woman Born, 1979, you look at black maternal feminist thinkers and scholars and writers, Patricia Hill Collins, this has been going on for decades, but there have been various points at which um, the work has been introduced in a way that has resonated with a certain population of people in an interesting and unique way. Um, And so I guess what I'm trying to say there is that the way that I have designed the certification, the way that I've delivered it certainly is new in that there isn't, from my understanding, an online certification for motherhood studies. But a lot of what I'm doing here is I am drawing on, as you know, Ailish, from during the course, I'm drawing on existing maternal theory and research, maybe language in it in a new way to help make it accessible for mothers and practitioners outside of academia. Um, But I think it's really important to always look back at the legacy of maternal thinkers and to recognize that we're in this interconnected web in a sense, and we're building and we're growing. And that's part of what is exciting about the newness of this too, um, in that, yeah, we actually, through social media, through the connections we have online, the fact that you and I are having this podcast conversation right now, we've got a new level of opportunity to build connection and relationships in a way that I hope will build momentum and power, right, in collectivizing actually to try and create shifts in all different ways, at, you know, on a public education level, on an education institutionally, in terms of uh, bigger institutions and, and systems, you know, healthcare, maternity system, looking at all of those big you know, systems and isms in our society, as well as in academia and the research world, as well as on the ground with practitioners supporting mothers. So there's just all these different cogs, I suppose, um, in the in the wheel of momentum that we're trying to create here. Um, but to answer your question in terms of what I think is the most impactful, I think it depends on who's listening or receiving the information um, because I think oftentimes what I've experienced for people who are doing motherhood studies is the light bulb moments don't necessarily come from hearing a brand new piece of information it often comes from hearing their own inner knowledge and understanding and experience spoken back to them with language and wrapped in a concept that has them have a realisation, wow, this is a thing, I'm not alone, and I now have an accessible way to talk about and describe my experience. Um, So I think there can be those key moments and and one would probably be the distinction between motherhood, the cultural construction, mother, the individual or the role, and mothering the practice. Um, That's drawn on the work of Sarah Ruddick and Adrian Rich and Andrea O'Reilly. And so those distinctions can often be a really key starting place for people to open their perspective up in a new way. Um, But I think oftentimes it's remembering and coming back to a lot of the work of what we do, particularly on the ground with mothers, if we're talking outside the research world, for practitioners 
is actually building connection and relationship and providing language and concepts and ways of understanding to give meaning to what mothers are already experiencing and know within themselves. Yeah, I just had like three different thoughts as you described that. <laughs> like the first one was like, how, yeah, how do I do that right now in my classes? Like, how do I share? Like, how, what language and connection do I bring to my classes that have, that has changed since I've done your certification? You know, and um, and my other thought then was actually, I'd like you to unpack those distinctions if we have. We might. I don't think it would take too long. But just to share actually what, what um, like I actually created a leaflet after we did our certification, because I suppose I really got present to how much um, the doing of mothering falls to mothers, you know? And I didn't really realize like, um, I, like I suppose, I just kind of thought like when I became a mother, like this is what mothers do. You know, this is this is what we do. We do all the mothering, you know, and it didn't really occur to me that it could be could be more equally distributed where possible, you know. Um, and then I also found the maternal gatekeeping like I do talk about maternal gatekeeping in my classes. I talk about that, you know, like how to empower their other halves, you know, to not not to not to gatekeep everything in our mothering, you know, and I, I talk about about the importance of matrescence you know in terms of protecting them that their energy and like they the, the avoiding that depletion um and and i do create i do talk about the distinction there that you that you spoke about so could you briefly describe it because i'm sure you'll do it much better than i do in the <laughs> well ailish is the thing right is that we need to hear these descriptions through the voices and perspectives of multiple people and there'll be ways that i can describe it which will land with some but not with others and they'll need to hear it from you and your interpretation of it so just recognizing actually that we each have a really key role to play here in, in our own experiences and perspectives and expertise and training um, but a simple way that i try to describe it as you know ailish is using the analogy of the fish tank of motherhood um, because sometimes this can feel really intangible when we're talking about big concepts but to bring it back down imagine a round glass tank that's our society that's the world that we live within so we look around we can't actually see this we can't see it anywhere but we know that it's there that's our culture and that changes depending on what country we're in what historical period we're talking about but that's the motherhood and in my mind when I think of motherhood I think of the hood as capitalized like motherhood this is the the place we're living right and then I think of the mother is the fish inside the tank that's us as the mother we're the individuals living within this culture and then the mothering is the practice, as you've referred to. So it's the caring work. It's the actual doing. And so in the analogy, it's the swimming around in the tank. So we're individual mothers, the fish inside motherhood, the culture of what it means to be a mother. That's motherhood. And then we're doing our mothering, which is the swimming. And, and we have to do it within the constraints of the glass tank, which is within the, the motherhood constraints. So that like my interpretation of that was that like, yeah, you, you can, you mother according to your culture and society, like what you've seen growing up, what you see around you, what's been embedded in you from, from that experience and what society is also telling you about what is good mothering 
given any given time or like yeah any given time or like whatever is happening in society at that time is going to actually influence that motherhood so you're not as free I think as you think you are as you think you are that's no. right and you imagine with a big black textile written all around that glass tank are all of the shoulds of the perfect mother myth you know a mother should have endless patience she should be self-sacrificing she never experiences apathy or frustration she should be you know self selfless and put everyone in not just her children but everyone in her family and community and the animals in the house and everything comes before her needs I mean there's variations of it as well um, and some of the things that are written on that the tank are contradictory you know so a mother should actually be at home with her children all the time she shouldn't be out working right she should be the the imagery of the the domestic goddess, right, in being the ideal wife and the ideal mother and the ideal homemaker. But actually, she would also fail to be the perfect mother because she's expected to be economically contributing. And I'm using air quotes here, right? Like she should have a career and it should look like this, but she never puts her career before her kids. So, like we're caught, we're caught. None of us can ever, we can't hack our way into figuring out how to hold it all up and live in our truth and be perceived as the perfect mother by everyone. It's just, it's not possible, but we're kind of fed this cultural ideal and expectation and a myth that not only is it possible, but if we aren't living it, then it's because of our individual failing. Mm. Yeah. That sucks. (laughs) Doesn't it just sucks? Like it just is like how... I, and I know I've lived it like, you know, I've lived it. I tried to be the perfect mother, you know, and you can, it's, it's unattainable. It's a mountain you will never get to the top of. It is. And then you just start feeling like, yeah, it's your wrong. It's your failing as opposed to actually, hang on a sec. This is a completely unrealistic bar that has been set, you know? And um, yeah, I think, I think with time and I try to talk about this to the women in my classes, but it does occur to me that it's too soon it's too soon they have to have lived at first you know a little bit of it to 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 see that to see this but hopefully these conversations make make a difference you know um but I also did want to talk to you just really briefly now we just have a few more minutes just about the recent research that came out like it kind of ties in very nicely with the perfect mother Mick, but just around what happened during the pandemic you know and I know yeah. we spoke about that yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a big theme, right? And a lot of research is still emerging, but we know that mental health for across all parts of our population has really, um, we've been challenged because of the global pandemic and various contexts that we've been put through. And importantly, to recognise that some people experience more challenge than others based on their socioeconomic status, their level of privilege and or marginalisation. But I think a key part um, that has often been missing in public conversations as well as public policy considerations is the impact on mothers and the ways in which mothers have already been stretched to capacity have been carrying the load, not only the oftentimes the physical load of caring work and being the one to carry out the predominant Uh, role of primary caregiver for their children and their families, but also taking on the emotional labor, the mental load Um, and the emotional labor and mental load of, yes, the care of their children, but also in terms of the domestic load of keeping 
keeping everything in their mind of what needs to be running within their household, of, of all of the different moving parts. And then on top of that, we have health concerns as part of this as well, financial concerns as part of this, you know. So it's a really, um, it's a it's a big conversation. It's a big theme that has come up and some of the research um, out of looking at the impact of the pandemic on mothers is in an edited book by O'Reilly and uh, Fiona Green. I can link it to you. You can put it in your show notes if you'd like. Um, and in, in there, there is talk about the double-double shift that mothers are expected to take on and not just expected, but sometimes have no choice, right? Because So when we talk about, well, dropping expectations or lowering the bar, we need to look at, well, what options are available outside of that? What level of choice and agency do we actually have here? Um, and interestingly, in that book, there is an edited uh, a chapter by Alexandra Steneva, and she has done really brilliant work. Um, I think it might be Steneva and Wittingen, Britta Wittingen. I have to double check. I haven't, I haven't looked before this interview, but um, they've done really interesting work on ambivalence and looking at the ways that maternal ambivalence has played out in the pandemic. And again, that's a complex story. You know, there are ways in which mothers have absolutely been hugely challenged and pressured and uh, you know, broken through the experiences of what they've been through. But also there are ways in which we've stepped into our power as well, that we've found ways to come into presence and connection with ourselves or our children. And for some populations, like mothers, children who have disabilities may say, actually, we've always experienced a level of isolation from social spaces here. Actually, this has been our lived reality for our entire lives. You're now getting a glimpse into it and maybe it, well, there are some silver linings here for us. So it's complicated, but I guess that's just a little little bit of a snapshot of some of the research that has come out. Well, I like the double, the double, double shift. Like, you know what you we spoke about in the certification about the second shift that was like, I think a lot of women experience that, like, you know, that's what, can you describe what that is? Yeah, so that's um, referring to some work by Ali Hoschild in looking at um, the, the second shift. And there have been various, very, various different um, iterations of that and extensions on that. But the basic idea of it is that we have mothers going out into the workforce because we're expected to be the ideal workers as well as the mothers. And what potentially we presumed may happen would be that the other person in the household, presumably the partner, would pick up the load of caring work that a mother would step back from when she engages in paid work. Um, but actually what we know is that she takes on a second shift when she comes home. So it's not just that she's engaging in the work outside of the home, but she continues to do the work inside of the home as well. So it's really just a way to language and make visible some of the emotional labor as well as some of the tangible and practical things that she is taking on and is expected to take on as her responsibility. Um, and it's really naming mothering as work, you know, work that isn't paid, that isn't recognized as contributing, but as any mother knows and any caregiver and primary caregiver knows, it's it's hard work and it's often not valued enough or seen as work. Yeah, like, and that's like one of the things I would say contributed the most to me and like I'm really grateful because that was I I didn't realize that what I was doing was actually unpaid care work like I didn't when you said that I was like that for me was my blind spot I just thought this is what I'm meant to do as a mother this is what's expected of me as a mother and that is true and true and valid perspective but I didn't value it 
as unpaid care work. So therefore my worth in my mothering, if I wasn't seeing it as valuable, a valuable contribution, um, because I've been conditioned to think that my valuable contribution to the household is financial. Like, so like my worth, and this is my own personal, obviously my own personal like conditioning was that like my worth is directly attached to my financial contribution, you know, um, in terms of the family. Now I knew, obviously I knew I, I, it's more than that, but I suppose I got really connected to all the mothering tasks that we do, which vary from, you know, like, and I love that book that you referenced, Fair Play by Eve Rodsky, because she really breaks down all of the tasks that we do. And when you actually look at it, you're like, wow, there is so much, you know, it's not just food, lunches, dinners, shopping, prepping, cleaning, laundry, like it's other things like parents, like looking after in-laws, uh, you know, your own family, family of origin, birthday parties, birthday presents, um, health insurance, all the, the financial stuff that keeps the household actually running is a task, a mothering task, or what, I don't know, but they are tasks that are required to look after the family and that they are worthy tasks, like, and that I suppose I've had a shift now in the sense that like, I actually value my contribution in that aspect of the family to the point that I suppose I, I, I've, you know, I've requested like that it's recognized as that, you know, um, and, yeah, I mean, I think that like we don't even look, we don't even see it. It's huge. Yeah, it's really hard. And, you know, I, I wish that it weren't this way. Um, and I wish that we would have a cultural shift first and and we would change our language around what value means. Um, that I think we probably have a long way to go with that and a place to start that can create shifts in our individual lives is around the valuing of what we do and seeing the value in what we do and, you know, removing the word just in our descriptions of what we do and being really conscious of where we're apologising when we actually have nothing to be sorry for and thinking about how actually how can I reframe what it is that I do in my life and see the value in it and detach value from productivity, detach value from money, and at the same time, recognize that what I'm doing is productive, and it does have a financial impact in one way or another, whether we look at that to be we're producing future taxpayers, right? We're producing people who are part of the GDP and who are human beings who contribute and innovate and create and our future workers, or whether we want to see it in how much are we saving the economy? How much are we saving our family through providing all of the work and the labor that we are currently engaging in? So yeah, it's complicated, but I hear you. And I think it's really important for, for us to be able to start having these conversations about, well, what are the stories that we've been told or that we've absorbed around what our value is, what our worth is and what that relies upon. And I think that is a great place to end. And I think particularly what came into my head there was like, if if there's any, like for anyone that's listening to this and particularly mothers to remove just from our language, you know, cause I did mention this in a, in a previous podcast that, you know, I had a conversation with someone we met at a kind of family thing and she, um, she's a pharmacist, you know, and she said to me, I asked how's work and she goes, oh, um, 
I didn't go back to work, you know, after my, my last child. I'm just at home with the kids. <laughs> I immediately said, don't say just, that diminishes your contribution. <laughs> I'd say she was uh-huh. like, okay. <laughs> I'd say she was a bit shocked when I said that. But like, but but isn't it isn't it subtle, like, that she said that? You know, like, and I have said that in the past. And maybe that we can just, maybe just, we start there. I mean, it's hard because starting there also means unless, I mean, she, I don't know how much she knew about you and your background and your perspective, but when we are asked about what it is we do, we, we presume that the people we're talking to have been socialized in the same ways that we have, Mm -hmm. right? In that if I actually do talk about the value of my role as a mother and I am like, yeah, I'm a pharmacist. And at the moment I'm spending, I'm working full time in support supporting my children and looking after my children for this season of my life or however we want to phrase it like that can be and often will be met with resistance and the conversation about uh, of small talk may just end (laughs) when we say that what our decision has been or what it is that we're doing in our mothering right now because it's a access point in terms of language and has to do with identity as well as you know it's big isn't it it is big when you say it like that, yeah, that we, you're assuming, yeah, that maybe the person you talk to has been socialized to expect this response, mm. you know, mm. but like, yeah, I suppose it's like, that's. Little acts of resistance where we can. Yes. Yes. It is a little, and it requires bravery, you know, it mm-hmm. does require bravery, you know, like, um, because mothering is important work. Mm-hmm. And also just, I go, I know that we're, we're ending shortly at least, but I suppose I want to almost asterisk here and just recognize that all of this is a cultural construction and it's culturally contingent and you go into another culture and African-American mothering, right? The conversation in terms of what is marginalizing or oppressive or, uh, it's not around mothering, right? Like mothering is part of activism and part of reclaiming, you know, matrilineal lines of of power and same with Indigenous mothering. And so just always remembering the context that we are living within, the conditioning that we experience ourselves, depending on how we identify where we're located and who we're speaking with and to. And, And how safe is it right? How safe is it for us to push back and have those acts of resistance? And that will change context to context, relationship to relationship. But I think just even having conversations like this and opening up those little kind of cracks of awareness gives us possibility to hopefully gain momentum when more of us come together and are able to support each other in this way too. Yeah. Great. Sophie, thank you so much for being so generous with your time. I know it's late there now in Sydney and I just really appreciate that. I And I know it's going to contribute to Irish people. Um, I'm just really excited about sharing it. So thank you so much. Thank you, Ailish. Thank you for all that you're doing. I really appreciate this conversation. listening if you found this conversation informative please share everything happens in conversation if you want to learn more about our classes and education at the bump room head over to our website thebumproom.ie